the passage that Gene read is, is coming, right? We're going to get to that eventually in Exodus, but we're going to see that it's kind of talked about and predicted in this passage of Scripture today. As we look at Exodus chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 to 9, I've entitled it, What's in Your Hand? Now, in 2000, Capital One started the marketing can- or slogan, What's in Your Wallet? And it was used as a way to say, if you have a Capital One credit card in your wallet, you have buying power, right? The sky is the limit. You can purchase anything that you want. Nothing is out of reach. And so long before Capital One asked this question in their advertising campaign, the Lord asked a similar question of Moses. He wanted to know what was in his hand. And God was going to use it to show his power. He was going to show what kind of power he had with just a a simple thing that was in Moses' hand. Well, I had a Capital One card. It was a corporate card that I I used uh, when I lived in California and worked with Every Generation Ministries. Um, And uh, they said, if if we can get it based on your credit, then any points that you earn, you get to use for yourself. So that's what we did. So I racked up a lot of points pretty quickly because this ministry spent a lot of money on overseas flights and domestic flights. And so before you knew it, we had all kinds of points. Well, when we we, uh, left Every Generation Ministries, I opened up a personal Capital One credit card, and I was able to transfer all of those funds from that corporate card, or not funds, but points, from that corporate card onto our personal one, and then eventually Judy and I got to use those to do some travel. And so that was kind of neat to be able to have that opportunity. And as I think about what's in my hand, there are many things in my hand that, that God's power can use for His glory. He's given me the, the ability uh, with music, so I know how to play the guitar. I can play a little bit of piano. Um, and, I, and to sing, right? He's also given me uh, basic knowledge about vehicles to do certain maintenance and repair work. He's given me the knowledge about computers, the internet, and other electronics to be able to do some of the things that we do here at the church. He's given me a love of learning, reading, and research, especially pertaining to God's Word, the Bible. And He's given me the ability to speak publicly and to preach His Word boldly. And so the list could go on and on because God gives us all kinds of things in our hands, doesn't He? So how about us? As you think about it for yourself, what what abilities and gifts has God given you that he can use for his glory? I want you to be thinking about that today as we go through this passage of Scripture. The Lord had promised to go to Egypt with Moses and had given him his name, I Am. You know, we talked about that. He explained that the elders of Israel would listen to him and go with him to talk to the king of Egypt. Moses was still hesitant after receiving all of these promises and assurances. In fact, in order to ease Moses' mind, the Lord gave him three miraculous signs that he could use to convince the Israelites that God had sent him to deliver them. Moses had to be obedient and return to Egypt, and he was going to find out what our big idea today is. That obedience releases God's power to transform, restore, and conquer. And the same is true for us also. When we obey what God is asking us to do, He will prepare and provide resources for the task. Our obedience releases His power in our lives. 
As you think about that this morning, would you just bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, we just come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's inerrant, that, Lord, your word is our guidebook for life, that we can look into it and find truths and principles that apply to us even today. We thank you for the authors. Lord God, you ultimately are the author, but you told um, your men what to write down. We thank you that it's God-breathed, and it's useful for so many reasons, Lord. I pray today that the power of your word would sink deep into our hearts and minds, that it would transform us, it would restore us, it would help us to conquer certain things in our lives. And so, Lord, we lift it up to you. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at three points today, and that's the power to transform, the power to restore, and the power to conquer. And the first point, power to transform, is found in verses 1 to 5. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This is what God's Word says. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So what we find here, first, is some doubt As we learned in chapter 3, Moses saw a burning bush that was not being consumed. The Lord spoke to him through the burning bush. He he realized that that he was in the presence of the God of his forefathers. He was standing on holy ground. And so the Lord told him what name he was to use with the Israelites when he returned to Egypt. Pastor Mark did a great job of helping us understand that last week. He was like, I am is the one who sent me. And so he reassured Moses that the elders of Israel would listen to him. We saw that in verse 18. But all of this just wasn't enough for Moses. Hamilton says he does not share or embrace God's optimism. God just told him in verse 18, he's like, they're going to listen to you. And Moses says right here in verse 1 then, just a couple of verses later, he's like, but what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me that you actually appeared to me? What am I to do then? Stuart, in his commentary, says Moses was not doubting God's promise, but he certainly was afraid the Israelites would doubt it. He's like, they're not going to believe that I saw you in a burning bush. It's going to seem unbelievable to them. Like, how, what can I do? So perhaps Moses was still plagued by the Israelites' rejection of his authority over 40 years ago as he tried to break up that fight between the two uh, Hebrew men. And the one Hebrew man said to him, Who made you ruler? and authority over us. So perhaps he's still struggling with that 40 years later. Were the Israelites going to accept his authority as God's chosen deliverer? That was Moses' concern. Would the Israelites believe that the Lord had appeared to him? How often do we doubt that others will believe God has spoken or appeared to us? You know, we've had this incredible experience with the Lord, and then we try to tell somebody else, and they're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Are you sure? That seems kind of weird. 
maybe a little bit radical, right? God appeared to you? God spoke to you? Yeah. So, because of that fear and doubt that we have, we file a formal protest with God instead of being obedient by faith. See, what happens there is we forget that God is sovereign, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present with us. We forget God's attributes, don't we? We're like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot... I forgot that he is capable of doing anything and everything. And I'm grateful that God is patient with us and listens to our concerns. And that's exactly what he did with Moses. He didn't negate Moses' concerns, but rather gave him some tools to boost his confidence. God asked Moses what was in his hand. He was using something very ordinary. It was the staff. As a shepherd, Moses' main tool was his staff. He used it to guide his sheep. He used it to ward off uh, animals. You know, they were trying to attack his sheep. It was just an ordinary stick. It was a piece of wood. John Corson, in his commentary, says this. What's in your hand, God asked Moses. A shepherd's rod, Moses answered. That's what I'll use, said God. What's in your hand, Paul? A pen. I'm a scholar. I'll use that, said God. You will write a great portion of my word. What's that in your hand, Peter? A net? I'm a fisherman. I'll use that, said God. You will be a fisher of men and haul people into the kingdom. So our first principle is this today, is that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. That's right out of N's commentary. So I want you to take a moment today and just think about something that you use every day for your work. Think about it. Get it in your mind. Is it a computer? Is it a hammer? Is it a basketball? Is it an apple? Is it a forklift? A teacher's manual? What is it? A pen? A calculator? Have you ever thought that God could use it to do something extraordinary for His glory? John Corson goes on and he says, God gave you gifts when you were born simply waiting to be activated when you were born again. He wants to use it for his glory, to build his kingdom. So maybe you're ready to take this first next step today, and that's to offer my ordinary quote-unquote tool to God so he can do something extraordinary with it. Are you ready to do that today? Are you ready to offer it to God to see what he can do? The reason the Lord asked Moses what was in his hand was because he was going to use it to do something extraordinary. And we see Moses' obedience here. The Lord told Moses to throw his staff on the ground, and he obeyed. That takes us back to our big idea today that obedience releases God's power to transform, restore, and conquer. After Moses threw the, his staff on the ground, God transformed it into a snake. That leads us to our second principle today, that God has the power to transform anything. He is all-powerful. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I hope so. You know, I've seen God use seemingly ordinary items and circumstances to transform people's lives. I know that some of us are struggling to believe that God can transform anything or anyone because we've been praying for a long time for a family member or a friend to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may still be waiting for the transformation to take place, but I want to encourage you today to hold on to the truth that God is all-powerful and can transform anything and anyone. Continue to obediently cry out to Him for your family member or friend. Maybe you're ready to take the second next step today, and that's to trust in God's all-powerful ability to transform anything or anyone. 
When Moses' staff turned into a snake, he reacted like most of us would. He ran, right? His reaction to this transformation was to run. Now, I don't normally run from snakes. I'm not that scared of them, but I definitely make sure that there's a safe distance between me and it. Because I'm not knowledgeable enough in a, in a moment's notice to know whether or not it's poisonous or venomous. So I just give safe distance. I don't go running away. But I know that some of us here today react to snakes in the same way that Moses did. You run, right? Like, nope, not going to hang around. I don't care. Um, not just even going to give it a safe distance. I'm getting out of here. Some of us will not even agree with the best kind of snake is a dead snake. In your mind, the best kind of snake is a non-existent snake. Right? Like, I don't even want to be around. Why didn't God just eliminate them after the fall? Like, why do they have to just crawl in their belly? Why can't they be gone? <laughs> and so Moses had to face his fear, right? He obviously ran when the staff turned into a snake because he was afraid. Now the Lord's asking him not only to get close to the snake, but to pick it up by the tail. Not a good idea. Most snake handlers don't pick up a snake by the tail because the head is free to move around and strike, right? A lot of times they use a snake hook to trap the head so they can pick it up from behind the head, controlling the head. In controlling the head, they're able to protect themselves from being bitten. Now, we're not told in this passage of Scripture how long it took Moses to obey the Lord, but we know that he did. When he took hold of the snake, it turned back into a staff. How do you think he reacted the next time he did that trick? Do you think he ran? I don't think so. Do you think he picked that snake up uh, more quickly? I think he probably did. <laughs> so when he took hold of that snake, it turned back into his staff. Now, the, the word uh, used for snake here is the same word that was used of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And this suggests that the sign also indicated divine control over evil in general. That's going to be important. The Pharaoh's headdress in ancient times had a cobra on it which represented his authority. And so the fact that God had the power to transform a staff into a snake and back into a staff showed his authority over the Egyptian gods and Pharaoh. You see, God is ultimately in control of everything. And that leads us back to our big idea that obedience releases God's power to transform, restore, and conquer. And it reminds us again of our second principle today, that God has the power to transform anything. And then the Lord told Moses that this sign transforming a staff, was so the Israelites would believe that the Lord had appeared to him. The author identifies who the Lord is by adding that it was the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He would not be confused with any of the gods of Egypt. This was the true and living God, the God of the Israelites. The Lord immediately provides us back up to the first one. We see that in our second point today, the power to restore. Verses 6 to 8. Would you look at those with me if you would? Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put it back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, then they may believe the second. So we see this restoration that takes place in God's powerful hand that does it. 
Moses is directed by the Lord to put his hand inside of his cloak. It would have been the folds in his cloak above his waist. Perhaps it was a place that he rested his hand often. It was a place where he could conceal his hand from view. And Moses obeyed, and when he removed his hand, it was leprous like snow. Now, the Hebrew word used for leprosy was also used for various skin diseases, not just leprosy. And in fact, the descriptive word, like snow, is really not part of the symptoms of Hansen's disease. That's what we call it today. That's what we call leprosy today. So, some of the symptoms of Hansen's disease are this. Discolored patches of skin, usually flat, that may be numb and look faded, lighter than the skin around it. There might be like little uh, nodules or growths on the skin. The skin might be thick or stiff or dry. There will be painless ulcers on the soles of the feet and painless swelling or lumps on the face uh, or earlobes. And then the loss of eyebrows or eyelashes. But it doesn't say anything about like scaly, white-looking skin. So it was definitely some kind of skin disease that caused the skin to have a flaky, white appearance. And the amazing thing is that the Lord didn't leave Moses' hand in the state of disease. He tells him to put his hand back into his cloak, and Moses obeyed, and when he removed it, his hand was restored. And that just reminds us that obedience releases God's power to transform, restore, and conquer. And our third principle today is this, that God has the power to restore. God has authority over disease and sickness. We can cry out to him when we are experiencing disease and sickness. We see in Scripture that Jesus healed many people while on earth, And we see that God healed many people through the apostles and that God continues to heal today. In his sovereignty, though, he knows what's best for us so he doesn't always heal. Think about Paul, the thorn in his flesh. Some people believe it was some kind of an illness or disease that he had. And he asked God three times to remove that. But God answered him and said, My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. He doesn't always heal. Maybe he wants us to just rest upon his grace today and recognize that his power is made perfect in our weakness. But sometimes he heals, doesn't he? God also has the power to restore relationships. Maybe you're currently experiencing a broken relationship with a family member, a friend, a co-worker, or a neighbor. You may feel like the relationship cannot be restored. Like, I don't see how this is ever going to be worked out. And I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord for the relationship. Start praying for the other person and watch what the Lord will do. Now, here's the thing. I don't want you to pray selfish prayers. I don't want you to be like, God, would you just rain down your wrath on so-and-so? I want you to... Pray prayers of blessing over that other person that you're having struggles with. And watch what God will do. In my own personal experience, do you know what God does in my life? He changes me. He changes me. And then that relationship is restored. So maybe you're ready to take this third next step today, and that's to cry out to God to restore What do you want them to restore today? Is it a health thing? Is it a relationship? Is it something else? Are you ready to take that step? Moses experienced the restoration power of God. He would be able to use this second sign if the Israelites did not believe the first. 
And the Lord explained to Moses that if the Israelites didn't believe him or pay attention to the first sign, that they would believe the second, or they may believe the second. Alexander in his commentary says this, In the present context, these signs are intended to point to Moses' divine commission, enabling the Israelites to believe that Yahweh has sent Moses to them. And we know that the Israelites did believe Moses after the signs were performed. Look with me. It's in chapter 4 still, so you may not have to turn a page. But look at verses 29 to 31. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They believed that God had sent Moses as the divine deliverer for them. But the Lord had one final sign, if needed. We see it in verse 9, and this point is the power to conquer. Look at verse 9 with me, if you would. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you took from the river will become blood on the ground. And here's where we see the passage that Gene read for us this morning. He gave us more details, right, of what's coming. The Lord told Moses that if the Israelites did not believe the first two signs or listen to him, he was to take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. God, in his power, would transform the water into blood on the ground. Ends in his commentary says, Turning water into blood symbolizes God's power over the elements, similar to the burning bush. It also symbolizes the power of Israel's God over the power of the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian nation, whose life force was the Nile. And so we see a fourth principle here today, that God has the power to conquer this principle is a precursor to God's power to conquer the nation of Egypt and set his people free from slavery. The ten plagues will overwhelmingly prove to Pharaoh and the leaders of Egypt that, God, that the God of the Israelites was all-powerful and in, in control of everything. And that takes us right back to our big idea today that God re, and obedience releases God's power to transform, restore, and conquer. The same is true for us. When we are obedient to God and His Word, His power is released, and, and He can conquer whatever has us enslaved. So what is that for you today? What has you enslaved? Is it alcohol or drugs? Is it pornography? Is it video games, an addiction to that? A desire to be loved and not alone? Is it debt, pride, or selfishness? Is it gossip, maybe a dead-end job, a desire to have stuff? You fill in the blank. What has you enslaved? Maybe you're ready to take this fourth next step today, and that's to be obedient to God and His Word so He can release His power to conquer and fill in that blank in my life. What is it for you today? My question for you is, do you want to be set free? Some of us don't. We want to continue to just be enslaved to this thing that's here on earth that's temporal, it's not going to last. Now, there are a couple of principles that encompass the entire passage that we just learned about today. The first one is this. God will provide supernaturally what we lack naturally. Aren't you glad for that? Moses was like, oh, I can't do it. 
A little bit later on, he's going to say, I, I'm not, I, can't, I don't speak well. <laughs> Send somebody else. And he's going to provide supernaturally for what we lack naturally. The second principle is this. God prepares and provides resources for the tasks to which he calls us. I'm so grateful for that. Aren't you glad that God will not ask us to do anything without providing supernatural ability and resources to do it? These two principles should give us confidence and courage to share with others in our neighborhood, at work, and at home. See, that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Dr. Tony Wood, who's the pastor of Mission Bible Church, said it this way in a video I watched recently. He said, we gather to worship. The Sunday morning worship service is for the body of Christ. It's for us to be encouraged and strengthened, to be equipped to go out and do the work of the church. And then he says, we go out to witness. And God gives us supernatural ability to do that, to witness. He provides resources and prepares the way for us to accomplish that task of the Great Commission. Aren't you grateful for that today? You know, this being a witness, it's not hard. A lot of times we make it so difficult or we allow fear to stop us from being a witness, to go out. We can simply share with a family member or a friend, hey, God answered this prayer. Or we can simply tell them how God's transformed our lives. So it doesn't have to be difficult. As we review this morning, what ordinary tool are you ready to offer to God so that he can do something extraordinary with it? Who or what do you need to trust God to transform with his all-powerful ability? What do you need God to restore? And are you ready to be obedient to God and his word so he can release his power to conquer whatever is enslaving you? As a body of believers, we have tools as a church, right? What tools do we, need to, need, do we have as a body of believers that God can use to do the extraordinary who or what do we need to trust God to transform? What do we need God to restore in our congregation? And finally, are we ready to be obedient to God and his word so he can release his power to conquer whatever is enslaving us? In a recent issue of Christianity Today, this is from actually 2013, a Muslim man describes his commitment to follow Issa al-Masai, which means Jesus the Messiah. Surprisingly, a rather ordinary miracle caused this man to open his heart to Jesus. Here's how he described the miracle. One night, the only food my wife and I had was a small portion of macaroni. My wife prepared it very nicely. Then one of our friends, one of her friends knocked on the door. I told myself, the macaroni is not sufficient for even the two of us, so how can it be enough for three of us? But because we have no other custom, we opened the door and she came in to eat with us. While we were eating, the macaroni started to multiply. It became full in the bowl. I suspected that something was wrong with my eyes, so I started rubbing them. I thought maybe my wife had hid some macaroni under the small table, so I, I checked. But there was nothing. My wife and I looked at each other, but because the guest was there, we said nothing. Afterward, I lay down on the bed, and as I slept, Issa came to me and asked me, Do you know who multiplied the macaroni? I said, I don't know. He said, I am Issa al 
Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. If you follow me, not only the macaroni, but your life will be multiplied. Isn't it amazing how God just uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary? And how he takes, you know, what supernaturally does things that we can't do in our natural ability. And it's to draw us close to him. So I want to encourage you today. What's in your hand? What's God asking you to use for his glory? And he can do it in his power. You know, what, what do you need to sacrifice to him today too? What do you need him to restore? What do you need him to conquer? He has the power to do all of that. And so I, I hope that you're encouraged today. And as the worship team comes, as the ushers prepare to take out the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we come and stand in all of you. <laughs> Better yet, we bow in reverence before you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are all-powerful. Lord, you have the power to transform and to restore and to conquer. And I pray that you would do that in the life of your people today. Would they sense your presence with them? Would they be obedient to what you're calling them to do so that your power can be released? Lord, I just pray for your people, my brothers and sisters today, that they would seek you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.